Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Let's activate survival mode. Hi, I'm Gentry Knucklebutter, and this is survival mode. Walk and stick in no time. Survival mode activated. We want you to have the best chance to survive out in nature. Let's get into survival. If you ever want to know which way's north, pick yourself up some leaves and let them fly. Whichever way they land, there you have yourself some north. Man, trees are cool. Look at that. That's a beaut. I'm making a shelter. We can just sit that right there. You can stay here for the night. Check. There we go. I, I had it on and I turned it off. My fault. Uh, welcome to ACF Church, everybody. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And I was saying before in the last service, this is the first time I've seen that like little bumper video, this whole series. And all I can say is we can only go up from here. So I hope none of you were taking notes. New people to Alaska, really, throw your leaves up in the air. I had no idea. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, like I said, my name's Josh, and uh, <clears throat> I have been gone for the last three weeks, and I had this uh, amazing opportunity. I want to talk about it for just a minute. Some of you guys have been following me. Some of you guys have been supporting me. No, I actually just got back from Nepal. Um, I got to go and be part of a team of people that uh, we trekked up to Everest Base Camp. And then after that, we summited a mountain kind of near Everest called Lobache, uh, 20,000 plus feet summit on that. And it was an amazing opportunity. And I actually got invited to go on this trip back in September. <clears throat> and there's someone who comes to ACF Church, and uh, they run a nonprofit called Radiating Hope. And Radiating Hope, what they do is they raise money to buy radiation oncology equipment for underdeveloped countries for hospitals that can't afford this equipment. And really making a dent and saving lives uh, doing ca uh, cancer research and, and providing equipment. So this person invited me to go on this trip with them. Uh, 47 adults were going to go on this trek. And so we talked about as a leadership team if I should take that much time off work. And what we, what we talked about was this idea of what if I could go and do my own kind of campaign, fundraising, awareness raising for Hope to Alaska. And uh, if you don't know what Hope to Alaska is, it's something we do here at ACF Church where we really strongly believe in mental health. And we know sometimes people need to go to professional counseling to, get men, uh, to work on their mental health. And um, sometimes people can't afford it. In fact, uh, we have some therapists that go to church here, and they've told us the number one reason people don't get the counseling they need is because they can't afford it. So we said, well, what if we could pay for it? 
And so we started something called Hope to Alaska where we pay for people to get professional counseling. So I ran this by the, uh, the Radiating Hope board, and they said 100% yes. We would love for you to lead this team and to do your own fundraising, awareness raising campaign for Hope to Alaska. So that was the opportunity I got to have, I got to do, and it was amazing and did tons of training to get ready to go on this trip. And I just got back and let me tell you, it was absolutely an adventure and it was crazy and it was amazing. And one of the things that happened right before I left is I actually had some people come up to me and they're like, we really feel like God told us to talk to you and let you know, like to, to be aware that he wants to use you on this trip. Like more than just going and leading this team and being a support uh, to, to this group. And even on this team, a, couple, a whole bunch of people went to Everest Base Camp. There was about 15 of us that summited Lobachay. Then a team of three uh, went to go and to att- attempt to summon Everest. And so we were kind of a support for them to raise money. And someone came to me and they're like, I just really feel like God wants you to know he has something for you. And even more, he has something through you on this trip. And let me just tell you, this entire trip, God showed up like every single day. Literally every single day I was gone on this trip. I was gone for 16 days. Every single day, including the days I traveled, um, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And, and it wasn't just this, hey, do you know Jesus loves you kind of moment. It was these deep conversations where people were just coming to me. God was bringing them to me, and I didn't even go looking for them, and it was just amazing opportunity to share the gospel. So it was so cool to see God at work and just trying to make myself available while I was trying to survive the elevation and not die and... Um, and it, it was amazing. And I just had a couple pictures. A lot of you guys supported me on this. A lot of you guys followed me and got the word out of Hope to Alaska. So I just wanted to share just a minute with you guys. Um, and if you're new today, this is just something cool that we got to do. And, and definitely check out Hope to Alaska. Uh, you can give hope or you can get hope at hopetoalaska.com. But uh, on the trip, one of the coolest moments for me, the first, I should say, the, one of the first coolest moments was the first time I actually got to see Everest with my own eyes. I've always wanted to go to Nepal. I've always wanted to trek up to Everest Base Camp. And so I remember going down the trail, and the first time I got to see Everest, and Everest is that one right there to my right with the, what looks like a 100-mile-an-hour wind blowing off the top of it, because it is a 100-mile-an-hour wind blowing off the top of it. And so it was just, it was just awe-inspiring to see that with my own eyes, and just to see God's magnitude, God's beauty, and just his sheer power in, in witnessing that. And one of the cool things that just happened was, like I told you, I was, I was part of a support team for a smaller team that was going to summit Everest, and they made their attempt yesterday, and they actually summited Everest yesterday. So it was really cool um, as they're continuing to raise money for Radiating Hope, and just an awesome moment for them. So this was a really cool moment for me. And then we continued the trek up, and again, all in the name of Hope to Alaska. So we finally made it to Everest Base Camp, and we got to bring Hope to Alaska to Everest Base Camp and just get the word out, and, get, get, uh, and people have been giving towards this, and people have been signing up for Hope to Alaska, that this has been such a big boost for Hope to Alaska, for people to get the help they need. So this is really cool. It's famous rock right there when you get to camp um, that everyone sits on, takes pictures of, signs and everything. So that was kind of step one. That was goal number one was to make it over 17,000 feet up to Everest Base Camp. And then the second goal was to summon a mountain called Lobache. And so as we were trekking, we got to see Lobache. That's Lobache right there. And uh, to summit that over 20,000 feet. And one of the cool things that we got to do was 
Uh, you guys here, a couple weeks ago, uh, we, we made something called Hope Flags, and you guys signed people's names that you're hoping find hope in Jesus. In the name of Jesus, people who need to find hope. So um, we got up at 1 in the morning, had breakfast. At 2 a.m. started our trek, and at 8.30 in the morning, we summited Lobache, and it was really awesome. Again, all in the name of Hope to Alaska. And I got to bring those flags up and just pray over the names that you guys are wrote down that you're hoping or praying for that they find hope in Jesus. And then at the end, I got to leave those flags on the top of the mountain and just kind of symbolically saying, hey, man, we're going to continue to pray for these names. So it was an amazing trip. I want to just thank you guys so much, again, for your support. Uh, for your prayers, so many of you guys talking to me, and, and just the stories I've been able to hear. Uh, uh, people coming up to me like, man, I wrote someone's name on that flag. Right? I've been praying for that person. And, and this was one of the greatest joys and burdens of the trip. Like I had those names in my backpack each and every day, and just carrying them going, I can't fail, like I gotta get to the top, I can't give up, I can't quit. And honestly, it was the most mentally and physically difficult thing I've ever done in my life. It was so intense, but just knowing I was uh, motivated by the names of the people I was carrying, your friends, your family, your neighbors, the people you work with, and so thank you for that opportunity. It was, it was such an honor to be able to do that. So kind of transitioning in, and it's a good transition, is we, we I, I was in, there's many times on this trip where I was like in survival mode, right? Like where I was hiking and trying to breathe air in and no air is coming in. Like the, it's just, it doesn't exist when you get up that high and uh, literally taking a step and like, <sighs> okay, one, two, three, another step. Hey, I'm going to try to take two steps. No, I'm out for five minutes. Like it was just crazy experience getting into this survival mode. And as I was preparing to speak today, I was thinking about that, right? This, this term, this idea, survival mode. Has anyone ever been in a survival mode before? Have you ever been in an experience where you're like, I might die. I need to, you know, I got to survive. I got to get in survival mode here. Um, I think Many of us, if not all of us, experience this, right? Going into 2020, we all experience survival mode. Like, what do you mean, ASD, that my kids are going to be at home with me all day, every day, and it's not even summertime, so they can't be outside? Like, explain this to me, right? Like, I, we got to go into survival mode. I got to, like, educate my kids and do work on a computer all at the same time, and, and we, it, was, it was just trying to survive, right? And I, I think we all got into this place of survival mode, but I don't think many of us have gotten out of it. I think we started to live, you kind of get used to being in survival mode, and we kind of start to operate and live that way. But if I'm really honest, if we're all really honest in this room, I think there was a lot of us, many of us in this room, who were in survival mode well before 2020 ever hit. I think there's people who have been in survival mode watching online right now, in this very room. You've been in survival mode maybe for decades, Right? Maybe you've been in survival mode in your marriage. Right? Maybe you've been in survival mode at school, just trying to survive. We have seniors who are graduating all this week, and it's like they, some of them were just trying to survive school. Maybe you've been in survival mode in your job. Maybe as a parent, you've been in survival mode. You're like, I, I miss the classes where they taught me how to be a parent you know, in high school. I miss the classes, and I'm just, I don't know how to do this. I'm just... Just trying to survive being a parent. Maybe you're in survival mode as, as a child. Maybe you've been in survival mode coming from just such a dysfunctional family. Even as an adult, you're still in survival mode as a child, as a kid, as a, as a product of a dysfunctional family. 
See, what is survival mode? What do we mean when we talk about survival mode? Well, I know, like, therapists, when they talk about survival mode, they talk about this idea of fight or flight, right? You've all heard that before, fight or flight, where your brain, your mind goes into this place where I either need to fight what's coming at me or I need to run away. And this is a God-given thing to us to help us survive and not be eaten in the woods, right? Like, it's given to us to survive, but we were never intended to live in this state, right? We were never designed to live in this place, but so many of us have been living in fight or flight for for decades. Again, maybe you've been in fight or flight in your marriage. We're just like, we're either going to fight each other or I'm just, I'm running away from the problems and the issues. Maybe you've been in fight or flight in your job, right? Fight or flight is being a parent. It's like every time I deal with my kids, I feel like I'm just going to have to fight them. Or I'm just running away from the problems, running away from the situations. And, and we, we get in this place where we like live in fight or flight. We live in survival mode. And as we start to live in it in one area of our lives, it just kind of bleeds over into so many other areas of our lives where we're just always trying to survive. It's either everything's always a fight or just kind of trying to run away from our problems. See, you were never created. You were never created to just survive this world. You were never designed to just survive this life. In fact, Scripture teaches us that you were created and designed to thrive in this world, to thrive in this life. That that is the design for you, is to be one that thrives in life. In fact, we've had a landing verse, a verse that we keep coming back to over and over again is John 10.10. 10. And Jesus is talking and he says, look, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. Abundant life. I have come that you may have life and have an abundant life. But if I, if I ask you this question, and, and if you were really honest with me, I could ask if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, how many of you guys would say, yes, I am living an abundant life? I am living an abundant life. I think many of us, if we're honest, we would go, yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm living an abundant life. I don't know if I'm really experiencing an abundant life right now, this, this abundant life that Jesus says he promises. Like, yeah, I know he says that, and sure, okay, kind of I'm supposed to live an abundant life, so yeah, I'm living an abundant life. But how many of you guys would really say you're living an abundant life? I think many people are in this survival mode, right? In survival mode and abundant life, those are not the same thing. They can't coexist together. But I think there's a reason. I think there's a reason we don't experience the abundant life that Jesus says he brings to us. I think there's a reason we don't experience the abundant life that Jesus promises. It's because this, we don't know what an abundant life is. We have a very weak, weak definition of an abundant life. I think most of us in this room and just in our Western culture and American culture we live in, we think an abundant life means living the American dream, right? An abundant life means, man, my house is paid off. I got the white picket fence. I got the 2.5 children. I got the dog, right? I got my car paid off. That's the abundant life. I got a great job. And we go after that like that's the abundant life. And then when we don't experience that, we don't get that, or there's a chink in the armor, or like maybe we got some of it, but not all of it, we, we don't experience an abundant life, and we go, Jesus, you, you never gave me the abundant life. But the problem is we're going after something that Jesus never promised, right? We're going after something he never promised, and so then when we don't get it, we're not satisfied with Jesus. 
But the problem's on us because we have a, such a weak, small definition of what an abundant life actually is. Jesus never promised any of that, and that's not a def- the definition of abundant life. See, when Jesus says that he brings us an abundant life, it's this Greek word he's using, it's this word parisian, and it, it literally just means this, exceedingly, very high, beyond measure, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than one would expect or anticipate. Is that how you view your life right now? Exceedingly more than you could expect or anticipate? Probably not. Many of us know. And the reason is, is because we're going after the wrong thing. Jesus says, look, I want to give you a life I want to bring you a life that is exceedingly more than you can anticipate or expect. So what is an abundant life? I think Jesus kind of tells us what an abundant life is. In John chapter 3, he's talking to this Pharisee. This Pharisee, he's one of the few Pharisees who becomes a follower of Jesus. And, And this Pharisee is asking him this question, what is abundant life? How do I get abundant life? How do I get this eternal life? And Jesus says to this Pharisee, he says, look, He said, God loves the world in this way, that he sent his son, that that who would ever believe in him would have eternal life. He would not perish, but have eternal life. As they're talking about what an abundant life is, Jesus says the abundant life is an eternal life, right? And, And maybe you're like me. When I was like in high school and stuff, I used to think, okay, eternal life. If, I, if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I say yes to Jesus, I have eternal life. Jesus says this, so eternal life starts when I die, right? My eternal life starts when I die. That's when eternal life starts. When, when I can shed this body and the sin in the body and, and the brokenness in my body and all this stuff, and I go to heaven, that's where eternal life starts. But eternal life does not start at death. Right? Eternal life starts the moment that we say yes to Jesus. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's not saying, hey, say yes to me, and then someday, when, in the future, when you die, you get to experience eternal life. But on this earth, you know, you just have to survive. No, no, Jesus is saying, no, when you say yes to me, you, your eternal life starts today. So an abundant life and eternal life, they, those two things go together. That when you start living out the eternal life that Jesus promised, you start living out the abundant life that he promised. So the, the, question, the question begs to be asked, then what is eternal life? If eternal life is just not immortality to live forever, what is eternal life? Jesus literally tells us directly in John 17 what eternal life is. Listen to this. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. This is what eternal life is. Now, you may hear that and go, okay, I know who God is. Cool. Now what? Now what does that mean? That doesn't feel any different. It doesn't feel like I'm living an abundant life because I know who God is. What does that mean? See, I think... So many of us, most of us, would go, yeah, I know who God is. But what we really mean is, like, I know who he is. But do you know the God of the universe? Do you know the God who created you, who designed you, who literally designed this entire planet, this entire reality that we lived in, that he created it for us to enjoy, 
to have a full life in. Do you know God? It's, I was thinking about it, and it's kind of like this. Work with me here. Has anybody ever been in love before? If you're married, I hope you can say yes, right? And, I, and if you're married, I hope it's not before, but you're still in love, right? Yeah, I was in love once. I'm married now. <laughs> no, no. Have you ever been in love? You remember that? Maybe even you're a teenager, you've been in love. Okay. An adult, you've been in love. But do you remember the, do you remember a moment where you, like, you see that person and it's just like, or the moment you realize, whoa, I love this person. You're like, oh, man, they look good today. Ah, whoo, and you just can't think straight, right? You can't do your schoolwork. You can't focus at work. You're just like, oh, man, it's a pretty cool moment. But do you remember the moment you found out that that person felt the same way about you? It's like, they what? They like this. You can't believe it. Like, they feel the same way I feel about them that they do about me. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, that test you got a D on kind of doesn't matter as much anymore, <laughs> right? Bad day at work, it's all right. They love me, right? And, and, and these things that go on in this world, they just become a little less. These, these storms we go through, these hard times, it's like, yeah, but this person loves me. And maybe it's not even like a romantic thing. Remember, for those of you that have kids, the first time your, your little child, little baby child can just kind of figure out the words, I love you, Mommy. I love you, Daddy. And there's just this like, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. This is what's important. See, this is eternal life, that you would know God Know that God loves you in such a deep way that it will transform you forever. Know that God loves you in such a deep way that it makes the things that happen around us just melt away and seem so insignificant all of a sudden. It's how we live a full life. I mean, if you think about the disciples, right? The disciples experienced eternal life on this earth. They walked with Jesus for three years and never really got it, right? They walk with Jesus and they're still arguing about who's gonna be the greatest, who gets to sit at his right hand, right? They, they walk with Jesus and they literally ask Jesus, I don't know if you ever caught this before, John, right, the beloved one, asked Jesus if he can kill everyone in an entire town. Did you know this? No one believes that Jesus is the Messiah, so John goes, Jesus says, let me, call thun- let me call fire on that city right now and kill everybody. And Jesus is like, back off. He's called John the son of thunder for a reason. Like, they just didn't get it. But then they see their risen Lord. They receive the Holy Spirit, and everything changes, and they know who God is in Jesus Christ who he sent. And it changes everything for them. And every single one of them was murdered for their faith. Every single one but John. They tried to kill him, but he just wouldn't die, so they exiled him. Right? And every single one of them would say, I lived an abundant life. I was murdered for my faith. I mean, we're talking like skin filleted off, pulled apart by horses, right? Crucified upside down. You know how the disciples died. You should check it out. Every one of them And all of them would say, I lived an abundant life. 
right? You have Paul, who has this radical conversion with Jesus, meets Jesus in a way that nobody else got to, right? In his risen glory, meets with Paul and, and changes his life. And then all of a sudden, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. Listen to this. Does this sound like an abundant life to you? Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rod. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have, res- I have spent night and day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toils and hardships, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, and without food, often without food and cold and without clothes clothing. That sounds like an abundant life, right? Right, sign me up for that. But Paul would say absolutely he has lived an abundant life. Any any one of us go through any of that. Like I got beat five times, 40 lashes minus one. No, like one time I might be like, okay, God, I did it for you. But two times I'm out, right? Three times, five times, like dangers from rivers, dangers from dangers from just sounds like Alaska, right? Like just danger everywhere. Right? But he's all in the all for the sake of the gospel. Right? And Paul would absolutely say he's lived an abundant life. Right? Because he knows God, this eternal life. He's living day in and day out, living the way God had intended for him to live. Full of love. From the Father, right? Knowing his identity, complete security in God. Not caring really what people think about him whatsoever because he knows the God of the universe loves him deeply. Like that is eternal life. That is a full life. A life that is completely full of knowing who you are in Christ and how God thinks of you. See, this sounds really awesome, and, and living a full life, and living an abundant life, living an eternal life. This is how the believer is supposed to live. It is what it should be natural to us, but there's an enemy, a robber, if you would, of the abundant life. And, and, and the, I think that one of the greatest enemies of an abundant life is a life of apathy. A life of apathy, a, a life of kind of just simply not caring a life of being indifferent, no enthusiasm, no concern. Again, a life being focused on the wrong definition of what an abundant life is. Right? Because when we go after the things that we think are abundant life, and those are not the things that Jesus promised us, and then we don't really get those things, we just start to not care. Oh, Jesus, yeah, Jesus promised abundant life, but, you know, whatever. I'm just going to kind of live my life out until I die because I'm not experiencing it. And so maybe he means for everybody else but me, right? In this life of apathy, it starts replacing character, characteristics of God that are, that are put in us. It starts replacing them with apathy. And, and what we end up doing is we start seeing the world through kind of our humanistic mindset, our humanistic eyes, and then the things that we should be feeling, we don't feel, and it gets replaced with apathy, what I mean by that example is, like, let's say you're going into Anchorage, you're driving into town, and you just see the massive homeless situation going on, and there is a problem. And you look at it, and you kind of think one of two things. You think, oh, there's so many people. I'm only one person. What could I possibly do? And your heart gets filled with apathy. 
Or you think like, oh, you know what, these people, they chose, they made their life decisions, they chose the, the, the path that they're on, and they kind of deserve to be here. And again, your life gets filled with apathy, and as you drive in, and you see the poor, you see the destitute, you see the needy, the very people that Scripture over and over and over and over again says that we should be serving, you see them, and what ends up happening is we become apathetic instead of empathetic. Right? We become apathetic instead of empathetic. We should, our hearts should break for the lost. Our hearts should break for the poor, for the needy. And then we go, ah, yeah, it's just kind of part of Anchorage. Right? What can I possibly do? And we become apathetic instead of empathetic. And, and this, this kind of continues on, and, and we can have conversations with people, and, and we get frustrated because people see life differently than we do. Right? And maybe it's other sides of the political line. Maybe it's, uh, uh, it's our neighbors that just see life differently than us, and we get frustrated, and so we want to hunker in and just kind of hang out with people that think like us and look like us and talk like us and act like us. And, and, and when we do that, what ends up feeling of our heart is we become apathetic instead of sympathetic. And we have, we were instead of being sympathetic to the lost, or even sympathetic to other believers who just think differently than us and go, man, maybe I have something to learn from you. We just become apathetic, like, I don't even want to have that conversation anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm just, I'm just moving on. See, the more apathy becomes part of our spiritual lives, the faster we kind of slip out of this abundant life that Jesus has promised us. See, apathy robs us of this abundant life. There's this uh, book called Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's this phenomenal book. And um, what it's about, it's actually about two demons, an older, wiser demon and his young nephew demon. And the older, wiser demon's name is Wormwood, and the, the younger demon, his name is Screwtape. And it's about how Screwtape gets, an, he, he gets a human being to, to, like, that's his human being he's supposed to, like, follow and influence. And the first half of the book is all about how uh, Uncle Wormwood is telling nephew Screwtape, like, hey, this is how to keep him from the love of God. This is how to keep him from discovering who God is. And as the book goes on, the, 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 the human becomes a Christian. He discovers the love of God. And young screw tapes freaking out. Like, oh, I failed. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And the wiser Uncle Wormwood says, hey, hey, screw tape. It's okay. Chill out. Relax. Now you have a new mission to keep him as useless as possible as a follower of God, to, to fill his heart with apathy, to keep him from living out the calling of God in his life. In the book, he writes this. Wormwood writes this to screw tape, and he says, Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turning, without milestones, without signposts. This idea of just, it's just apathy. Get him to stop caring about the things of God. Get him to stop caring about the kingdom of God, and it's just a gradual slope. Now, I don't believe that a believer can just gradually go to hell out of, out of the redemption of Jesus, but I do believe that we can go into hell in this world, in our own lives that we create, not living out God's purpose and plan for your life, not living a full life, I would say, is living a life towards hell, the way God intended us to live. See, apathy is not caring about the goodness of God in our lives and the goodness of God, it changes who we are when we fully understand that. See, where does apathy come from? Where is it born from? 
Honestly, I think it's born from too small of a vision from God. I think it's born from not enough desire of what God has for us. If, 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 a, if abundance is this idea of more than we can anticipate, more than we can ask for, when we settle for less, we automatically are allowing apathy into our lives. There's a book called Your Longing Has a Name by Dominic Dunn. I would highly suggest you read this book. It's, it's actually a phenomenal book, kind of an overview of this whole series of survival mode we've been in. But in the book, uh, Dominic is comparing apathy, and he, he, he's saying, like, apathy is, like, is sin. Apathy is sin. And, and, and he's saying, he, he explains where it comes from. And this is what he says. He says, sin and apathy, it's misplaced desire. We could even say it's not enough desire because our ultimate desire isn't for sin, which never satisfies anyways, but our ultimate desire is for the goodness of God. Sin is a kind of vandalism to the soul. It deforms our inner beauty. Uh, it, 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 uh, it, it, it's disintegration of the wholeness. It's the disruption of shalom. Sin is a meager shadow compared to the abundance of the spirit-filled life. But the real tragedy is not that it keeps you from experiencing God's best, but also causes you to forget who you really are. A new creation, forgiven, set free, clean. Right? Apathy causes us to forget who we really are. And it steals our vision for our life. It steals our God-given vision for our life. And in Proverbs 29, 18, Solomon writes this, and it's so true. He says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And what happens when we lose our vision for our life is we just start to kind of perish as people. And what does that do is that kicks us into survival mode. I just got to survive. I just got to survive. I'm not going to thrive in this world, but I just got to survive it because I, I don't have a vision in my life. See, my question to you right now is what is your vision for God right now for your life? Like, what is it? What is your vision for God for your family? What is your vision from God for your job, for the school you're in? Do you know that you don't have your family just for your own sake? You don't have your job just for your own sake. You're not where you're at in life just so you can enjoy this life. Yeah, we can enjoy these things, but there's actually a purpose for it. There's a vision for it. There's a mission for it. And, and when we allow apathy into our lives, we just, ex- we just accept the fact that we've let go of that vision. Right? And, and then we start to, to slip out of living an abundant life, a life that God designed us to live what is your vision from God right now? Is it too small? Like, is your vision too small right now? Is it just about you and your family being healthy and wealthy and everything going your way? If that's your vision of abundant life, it is way too small. God wants so much more for you than that. See, a lack of vision just leads to self-centeredness. And my, vi- my vision just becomes about me, right? Right? It just becomes about me. And, and, and what does a lack of vision look like? It looks like, well, if I have an abundant life to me, an abundant life is all about me, right? Abundant life is all about me being able to control things. You control freaks out there, right? Like, if I could just control everything around me, now I'm living the abundant life, right? If I could just have a life of ease, if life was just easy, that's what an abundant life looks like to me. An abundant life looks like, just, man, my 401K just crushing it right now, right? That's my abundant life. My abundant life is my house paid off. My abundant life, this is my abundant life. It's just my kids 
a little better than your kids, right? Like, that's my abundant life. I, you know, my kids aren't going to be perfect, but if they're just kind of better than the other kids around them, then I look good, and, you know, that's abundant life for me. My abundant life is, you know, it's just shooting a moose a little bit bigger than my friend's moose. That's the abundant life. It is the abundant life. It's pretty awesome. But, you know, this is the and, and And all of a sudden, my abundant life is about me having more toys. And, and what we end up doing is we saying, what we're really saying is God, an abundant life is God doing everything he can to make me happy. That's my abundant life. God doing everything he can to make me happy. And when God becomes a commodity, what you get left over is apathy. When God is our commodity, he's just here to make me happy. Right? These things that I go after that he never, ever promised. And hear me out. These things are not bad things either, though. Right? Like, wanting our kids to be healthy, that's not bad. Working hard and working on my 401k to leave something uh, so I can retire and something for my family. The scripture even says, hey, like, a wise man leaves an inheritance for his, like, grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. Like, these things aren't bad. It's not bad to want to kick your feet up and relax and put them in the ocean and sand is, and the water's kind of washing over them. You're watching that sunset and it's a beautiful day. Like, that's awesome. That's not wrong. But when that becomes your definition of what an abundant life is, you're just going to miss out on so much more that God has for you. And those things will not fill you up. Right? That's the problem, right? They're fleeting. Yeah, that moment is gone, but then you've got to get on a plane and go back to work. And that moment is left there in that moment, and that's not filling you anymore. Right? And that new awesome side-by-side or four-wheeler or whatever it is, it's cool, but then all of a sudden, you still have problems in your marriage, right? And that thing doesn't fill you anymore. See, Jesus promises so much more. I've come that you may have life in abundance, eternal life. And what is eternal life? Is knowing the God of the universe loves you, created you, designed you for a purpose. You see, apathy will steal your peace, your passion, and your purpose. Apathy will steal your peace, your passion, and your purpose. See, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And I love in Romans, uh, in Romans, Paul's writing, and he, he gives us the definition of the kingdom of God. He says, this is the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. That when you're living out the kingdom of God, day in and day out, what you're experiencing, what you're walking in is righteousness, peace, and joy. That, that there's fullness of that, abundance of righteousness, abundance of peace, and abundance of joy. What does that mean? What is righteousness? Kind of this churchy word. What does it really mean? Righteousness just simply means right living, the right way to live. And not like, oh, you're following all the rules. That's what we often think God wants for us. God wants me to follow the rules, right? Why do we think that? Because that's what we want for our kids. Just follow the rules, will you? It'll go so much. I mean, they said it, right? Just do what your mom and dad say. It just goes so much better for you. Right? But we often kind of think that that's what God wants from us. Just follow the rules. But that's not what he wants for us at all. I mean, yes, he wants us to live rightly, but there's a reason for that. You see, God is the creator of everything, including the very fabrics of reality. Right? When God created, he created from nothing, everything. And so the very fabric, the very 
very, very fabrics of reality, right? The laws of physics, all of that stuff, it literally comes from the character of God. And so when God has us live righteously, right living, it is literally that we're living the way he designed us to live. And, and everyone, every, every carpenter out there, every mechanic out there, everyone who works with tools knows that the best way to use that tool is the way it was designed to be used. Right? Every, every carpenter knows, like, man, when you start using your tools as hammers and they're not hammers, you're going to ruin that tool. Don't do that. Don't use your drill as a hammer. Right? You're going to ruin it. But when you use your drill for the way it was intended to be used as a drill, it can, it can create amazing things. See, the reason God says, hey, this is the way to live is because this is the way he designed humanity and, and literally reality to work and to live. And when we live in that way, it is just better for us. It's better for the people around us. Again, it's the way we were designed to actually operate and live. And that's, that's what righteousness is. It's just right living in the way God created us to live. But we've been so brainwashed and just influenced by sin that we, we go, no, no, sin is the right way to live. And, and righteousness kind of feels weird to us at first. But we have to make that transition to go, no, 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 this is the way that God created reality to work. And if I can live in this way, it's just, it's a full life is what it is. It's an abundant life. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It's kingdom full of righteousness, peace, and joy. Peace. Experiencing peace. So many of us have this definition of peace of no storm. Right? Nothing going wrong. It's my feet kicked up on the beach. Again, feet kicked up on the beach is awesome. But that's not peace. Peace is not no storm. Peace is security in the storm. Right, Because the, the reality is, if you're searching for eternal life, if you're searching for a full life, and your definition is no storm, you will never get there. Because storms are going to come to everybody. Do you know, and I, I'm, I do apologize if I'm breaking the news to you, spoiler alert, you're all going to die. I am going to die. Every single one of us is going to die eventually, right? And so we often look at that as, that, that's a storm, and, and it, it is. We're not, we weren't actually designed or created to die. And yet, we have these storms, and can you have peace within the storm? Peace is not peace if there's no storm. But peace in the storm, when all of a sudden, I know I'm secure in who I am. I know God loves me. I know he's with me. Jesus literally says, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted by God. And that, that that's a truth and a reality that I can hold on to. Now I have peace within the storm. And I can look different than the world around me. And everything can look like it's collapsing around me. But I still have peace because I know God right? And joy. Joy in the face of sorrow. Joy in the face of mourning. And joy and happiness, they can be similar, but they're not the same thing. You don't have to be happy that the storm's happening, but you can find joy in this place. Joy that God sees me and knows me and loves me, and I have a full, abundant life, right? Literally, the person, no human being had a more abundant, full life than Jesus, no human being, fully knowing who God is, fully knowing his mission, 
fully knowing what he was about, fully living righteousness, peace, and joy. And yet he went to the cross and endured all of the suffering, all of the shame. And what does scripture say? That it was the joy set before him of why he endured the cross. That literally in all of that, he experienced joy. Why? Because he was living a full life because he knew who God is. And so this is what it means to live this full life. But apathy wants to steal your peace and your passion and your purpose. And do you know that you have a purpose? Do you know that living out your purpose is another way that we live the abundant life? Scripture actually tells us that before the foundations of the world were formed, that God had a plan for your life, for your life. And walking that plan out is part of living that full life. Again, doing what you were designed to do is how we live a full life. Too often, though, we, 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 we confuse like a purpose with greatness. Well, I'm not really living out God's purpose for my life because I am not experiencing greatness. I'm not great yet. I'm not leaving this massive legacy that the world will know that I lived. It's not what your purpose is about. Your purpose is about the world knowing that Jesus lives. Right? And when you walk that out, little by little, daily, faithfulness, you live your purpose and you begin to experience the fullness of life as you walk out in your purpose. So why do we care that we care? Why do we care that we care? What, what does it matter? See, for the believer in the room, for those that know Jesus, we care because God cares. And the truth is that Jesus has a full life for us. And so many of us are not living it out because we're settling for something so much less. We're going after the wrong things. That you can literally live a full life today. But there's another reason too. And the other reason is this, is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and then he left. And when he left, he left us the responsibility for the world to know Jesus through us. That we would literally look like Jesus. That the only way humanity is going to know the person of Jesus is through his people. That we are to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, think like Jesus. And when we do, we look completely different. And what does that look like? It looks like just living an abundant life. Right? Can you imagine what your neighbors would think if well, whatever's going on in your life, they know your circumstances, they're part of your life, and you just always kind of seem to have this peace about you and this joy about you, this fullness of life that no matter what's happening, Paul says, look, I've learned to be content whether I have much or whether I have little, whether I have nothing. I'm content in Christ. And you live that life. That looks different than the world around us, doesn't it? Contentment, peace, joy, fullness of life just looks kind of different than the rest of the world. The Bible says we're ambassadors. We represent Jesus to the world. And so when we have apathy in our lives, it just completely robs that vision. We just kind of look like everybody else. When, when my vision of a full life is everything going my way and my neighbor's vision of a full life who doesn't know Jesus is everything going their way, well, then what's the difference? We're actually called to look different we're called to be the representation of Jesus to this world. See, the truth is, is if we are it, if we're supposed to show the world who Jesus is and be attractive to the world, 
because we look like Jesus, the truth is nobody is attracted to apathy. No one's looked at someone who's like just massively apathetic and went, that guy's figured it out. I'm going to try to be more like that. Care less. So much less. Do nothing. No one is attracted to apathy. See, we need to live lives of passion. A full life is a life full of passion. Passion for the things of God. I love this quote. It says, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come for miles to watch you burn. Light yourself on fire with passion. The things that God has called you to and people will come for miles to watch you burn. I actually, I really did get experience that when I was in Nepal. I really was passionate for Jesus while I was there and people just kept inundating me with questions. Tell me about this, I don't understand. Be passionate for the things of God. Live that full life. And what does it mean for those who don't know Jesus? In this room today, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and that is awesome. I'm so glad that you're here today, that you would come to a church service here in Eagle River, maybe watching online right now, and you're watching, but you don't know Jesus. Like, what does this have to do with me? What this has to do with you is this. You can live a full life today. You can live that abundant life today. Eternity can start today for you, right now, right here in this room. Like Jesus says, look, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved, and you'll be saved into something. You'll be saved into this eternal life. You'll be saved into this life abundant. That it's not just about following the rules and getting it all straight and right. Follow the rules and it'll be fine for you. No. It's about living the way God intended you to live, the way he designed this world to be. So maybe that's you today. And you're just like, I, I want to say yes to this abundant life. That sounds pretty awesome. I want to say yes to this full life, to this eternal life. Man, that's, that's literally you can do that right now where you're at. In fact, we have action steps. We do these every single week on your seat. You're going to see a card sitting there. Maybe you've been taking notes on it. And every week we do these action steps. And people check in the box to say what they want to do, what their action step is for this week, how they're going to respond to this message. And, and we'll send you a text. And it's different depending on what you mark. Maybe it's like, hey, we're praying for you this week. Hey, just a reminder, you said you were going to do this this week. But maybe for you in this room, your first action step is to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's your first action step. And if that's you right now, I want to invite you mark that box. Put your name on it. And as you leave this room today, there's going to be people just holding baskets. You can drop it in the basket. And I will tell you straight, straight forward, we are going to text you. But we're going to let you, what we're going to do is we're going to help you as you begin this journey with saying yes to Jesus. We're going to text you some scripture verses that you could probably start reading, knowing what God says about you. We're going to send you some emails that just say, hey, how's the journey going? How can we help? We're going to send you a text that just says, hey, is there any questions you have for us? Anything you've been experiencing? We, we want to respond. We want to hear from you. We want to walk with you as you, we, you begin this journey. And the second action step is this. Sign up for Impact Eagle River. There is nothing better to shake off apathy than to actually get out and, and work in the name of Jesus. And if you don't know what impact is, I want to talk about impact for just a moment. See, impact is something we've been doing a long, long time here at ACF Church. 
In fact, uh, just this last week, I celebrated 10 years of being on staff at ACF Church. And uh, thank you, guys. And, and my, I remember my first year here, we were doing Impact Eagle River. Like, we've been doing it for a, over a decade. Over a decade. And, and you'll notice we changed the name of it. It was Impact Eagle River for about 10, 11 years. And then this year we said, what, what if we just went beyond ACF Church? What if we could partner with churches from all over the state? And one, one weekend, one Sunday out of the year, we got together and all over the state we made an impact in our communities. And that's what we did. Is we have over 10 churches that are getting together next week to serve their communities all together, getting outside our walls. It is an amazing opportunity. I'm so excited to see unity in the body of Christ doing this together, not in, under any one church's banner, just under the banner of serving our communities. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Like I said, I've been doing this for a decade now, and um, the best turnout we've ever had for impact is about 50% of our weekly attendance show up. So what that means is one Sunday a year, we have a 50% decrease in our attendance and it's the Sunday that we get outside of our walls and we go and serve our community. And so this year, we want to, we want to do better than that. We want to see 75% of our weekly attendants show up and serve our community. And I think there's a lot of different reasons why people kind of check out on, at Impact Eagle River or Impact Alaska now. I think there's a lot of reasons. I think one of the reasons is people kind of think, well, I'm not going to get anything out of it. Like, I come to church because I need to be filled up because, like, my job is stressful and I need, just need that kind of weekly, like, worship moment and all that stuff. And so if it's not, I'm not going to get ACF. I'm just going to go somewhere else or watch it online or whatever. And I will tell you, if that's your mindset, you're, you're kind of missing the point. Again, we go back to the fabrics of reality, the way God created reality, that literally there's nothing more you can do to receive than to give, to serve. That, that literally scripture says that, that the heart of those who serve, that they will be refreshed. He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. There's, there's, there's nothing more I can say to fill you up than you actually going out and serving people. Uh, another reason people don't come is because, well, I don't know what to do with my kids. Well, that's it's okay. Because one is we say, bring your kids with you. Let them serve alongside of you. What a powerful moment to serve along mom or dad as we serve our community together. And if you got really young ones, we have childcare up to three years old. So you can come, drop them off here, and, and go and serve your community. Um, this one is probably one of the number one reasons people don't. I didn't sign up beforehand. I didn't sign up beforehand. So I, I don't think I'm allowed to show up. Show up next week. But don't worry, right now, I take care of this problem. Right now. Right now. You can grab your phone. I want to invite you to do that. If you have not signed up, grab your phone. And you just literally have to scan that code right now, and it will take you to our page to sign up. You can sign up right now. I want to invite you to do that, encourage you, challenge you to do that, to pull out your phone and sign up. And there's a few areas left to sign up. We, we, you can go, <coughs> excuse me, if you're a teenager in this room, there's, there's youth culture uh, um, service projects that they're doing. Sign up, be part of it. Maybe you don't know anyone, what a great opportunity to meet some people next week get to know some people. So if you're, if you're uh, youth culture age, sixth grade on up, uh, sign up. Sign up and serve. If, if you're an adult in this room, we have a couple areas left you can do this. I want to encourage you to show up next week. Sign up now and show up next week. Uh, one of the things is I don't have a skill. I don't have a skill. I don't have bow hunting skill, bow staff skill, drawing skill. Sorry. Bowling dynamite, for those who don't know, couldn't help myself. But 
Some of you guys are like, I don't have a skill. Like, there's oil changes going on. And I heard that they do these projects where people build stuff. And I can't do really any of that. Look, you, you don't need to have a skill to show up and serve. In fact, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, next week, uh, right across the street at Shell Station, we're going to be pumping gas. And, 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 uh, and we're going to pay a dollar off a gallon. So a dollar off, dollar, dollar buy-down for a gas buy-down. It's amazing. This is a great time to do this. Um, and, and you could just pump gas. Everyone can pump gas, unless you're from Oregon. But everybody else can pump gas, okay? Some crazy people in Oregon. But, but you, you don't need a skill. If, you, if, you, if you're from Oregon, we can have signs for you to hold on the street. It says, dollar guy down from gas. Last service, someone came up here. We're from Oregon. We're visiting. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sure. Awesome. Perfect timing. Um, you can hold signs, right? We have ladies that go down to heart to heart, and they just sort baby clothes for them. That doesn't take a skill. No, I'm trying to teach my kids to do it. It's a little skill, but right, you, there's something for you to do. There's something for you to do. We do need, I will say this, we do need, a, we would love a few more people to help change oil. If you know how to change oil, we're down a few people to change oil, and you can sign up for that right now. If you know how to change oil, we're gonna set you up, we're gonna help you out. We do need some people to change oil. Um, this is a big one. No one will miss me if I'm gone. No one will miss me. I'm gonna, I, 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 so many people are gonna show up, it doesn't matter if I show up or not. I say the exact opposite of that. We need you. We need you. Not you corporately. We need you individually. Like I said earlier, there are things that God had in store for you before the foundations of the earth, and I believe next week is part of that. That maybe there's just a small conversation that you're going to have with somebody that no one else was going to be paying attention to to have. Maybe you're there just to give a helping hand where there was nobody else there, and you make an impact in someone's life. We need you to show up. You matter. You come. You bring the presence of God in your life to these situations. We can plan this all day long, but if you don't show up, then we miss out. So yes, we, we need you. So I hope to see you guys next week. Just so you know, it is 8 a.m. in this room. 8 a.m., we have a rally. We're actually gonna get all the other churches on the Zoom call. We're gonna celebrate together and pray together. We're gonna go out and serve our community. Don't miss out. Don't allow, don't allow this opportunity to be robbed by apathy in your life. If you guys would, join me in prayer. Jesus, I thank you. God, I thank you that you were not apathetic towards us. God, I thank you that you were full of passion. Passion that brought you from heaven to earth. Passion that brought you to the lowliest of places. Passion to live this life out perfectly. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Passion to take on our sin that you became our sin. Passion to go to the cross and receive the punishment, the payment for our sin. God, a passion through the power of the Holy Spirit to raise again and conquer sin and death. God, let us live our lives with that passion. God, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for not caring. God, forgive us for not caring about the lost. Forgive us for not caring about the poor, the orphans, and the widows. God, forgive us 
for thinking that an abundant life is a life all about us. God, when it is truly a life all filled with you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.